May we continue to show love, right? When I see you, I want to give you a hug, and then I'm not quite sure. So let's just use these other mechanisms, okay? Elbows and feet and, you know, bowing towards one another. Amen. We are in a two-week sermon series, and this is the conclusion. And I'm going to take you to an incredible story of Abraham. At this particular time, his name is Abraham, so excuse me if I get that wrong. Abraham and Lot and Melchizedek. Abraham is the father of faith, and this all happened before the law. And it's an incredible example to us of our stance towards generosity and our stance towards trusting God and our stance towards the tithe. Lot is an example of a nephew. Now, there's nothing wrong with nephews. I'm a nephew. We've got nephews. But in this context, he's not a son. And Lot is an example of a religious person who doesn't really have a relationship because he just like kind of hangs on the side of things. And then we can look at Melchizedek. Melchizedek is an amazing, and I don't want to spoil the punchline, but, but as a character in the Bible, in Genesis, and for about three and a half chapters in Hebrews, um, Melchizedek is a theophany, if you know what a theophany is. And uh, we're going to break that down. Now, let me quickly say this about tithing, just to go ahead, take it head on at the beginning. If you tithe, it doesn't mean that you'll never have financial challenges again. Can I just say that to you? If you tithe, it doesn't mean you'll never, ever have a financial challenge again. And reciprocally, if you don't tithe, it doesn't mean that the sky is going to fall on your head tomorrow. However, there are incredible truths in the Word of God about generosity and about tithing, both in the Old and the New Testament. So can we pray as we begin? Father, you are so good to us. And Lord, we stand here because of your grace, because you loved us first. I pray, Father God, that every stronghold would be broken, every stronghold that causes us to live in fear and faithlessness, every stronghold that holds our lives and our businesses and our own personal finances back. Lord, let your grace and your power and your miracles come. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story that we're looking at is the story of Abraham. And it begins in Genesis chapter 11, where God speaks to Abraham and tells him to go to the promised land. And you know, God wants to take you to the promised land. He goes about halfway. He leaves where he is in modern-day Iraq, Ur, and he goes up to Haran, which is modern-day Turkey, and then he stops there. And God speaks to him again, Genesis 12, and says again, leave your family Leave your household and go to a place where I'm showing you. This time, he obeys. And he ends up in the promised land and God speaks to him and he worships God. And it's amazing. But two things he does that are less than perfect, just like you and I. One is he takes Lot with him and he's supposed to leave his family behind. And second, in a time of difficulty, there was a drought. What he does is he goes down to Egypt And there he does this whole operation, does this deal. He says to his wife, honey, don't tell them we're married. You're so gorgeous. You know, just don't tell them we're married. 
And so he nearly loses his wife. Pharaoh is about to take his wife, and God speaks and God delivers. So that's the story up to this particular point. Then Pharaoh gives him a whole lot of money, and he says, go. He goes back to the promised land, and now he's wealthy. And his nephew, nephew Lot, that's the second thing he did wrong, is taking his, his nephew with him. His nephew is also wealthy, and they've got many herds, and they can't all live together in the same place. So we pick up the story. This conflict between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. It says, Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we are family. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you take the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled amongst the citizens, sorry, the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Off goes Lot, he moves towards Sodom, then he moves into Sodom, and ultimately he becomes one of the leaders of Sodom. Straight after this, Abram worships God. A war breaks up, war breaks out in the next chapter. Four kings of the east go to war against five kings in this area, one of them being the king of Sodom. And these four kings from the east trash the other five kings. And so Lot is captured by these four kings from the east, and he's being dragged away. And we pick up the story. When Abram heard that his kinsman, Lot, had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his household, 318 of them. That's like his own personal militia army. I wouldn't mind having 318 trained men in my household. <laughs> and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Dan is the furthest north point of Israel. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobar, north of Damascus, even further north, northeast. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, that's one of the four kings, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, both a king and a priest. And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Last verse, last passage. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And then juxtapose this. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord. In other words, I've sworn, I've promised that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. 
I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. These were his allies, not his 318 men, not his household, but some other people. We're going to look at Lot, we're going to look at Abraham, we're going to look at Melchizedek, and in the last five, seven minutes, we'll look at tithing very specifically. The name Lot means wrapped up one. And Lot seemed to have been wrapped up in his own desires. Lot sees this beautiful area. He sees this valley of Jordan. And in his desire for more, he's captured by his desires. He chooses it. Now, in that high-context culture, when Abraham said to him, you choose, what he should have said was, no, you choose. (laughs) And so it would have continued that way. Well, ultimately, he should have said, Abraham, I trust you. Why don't you determine? And it wasn't just a either choose the valley of Jordan or not. There were many other places that they could have separated to. But Lot lives by what he sees in the natural, and he doesn't live by what he sees with the eye of faith. And so he chooses this dark valley. And I want to show you three things about Lot. Lot chooses darkness over devotion. Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. Now, here we have Sodom, the most wicked of places. And I want to explain to you, because when we think of Sodom, we probably know only part of the story. There's a number of verses in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that are worth looking at. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, talking about the sin of Sodom. It wasn't just sexual. Ezekiel 16, verse 49 says, Now this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. So yes, Sodom was a place of violence and evil and rape, but it was also a place that had become incredibly wealthy, yet there was no thought to the poor. And there was no kindness to those that were in need. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says the following. At this time, the Sodomites, Sodomites, Sodomites sorry, grew proud on account of their riches and great wealth. They became unjust towards men and impious before God. Inasmuch that they did not call to mind the blessings that they had received. And they hated strangers, and they abused themselves with sexual immorality. So it wasn't just about sexual sin, but it was about their pride and their selfishness and their xenophobia. But this is the place that Lot chooses to go to. It's got to be something wrong with his heart. Instead of choosing to worship God, we see time and time again Abraham worshiping and making altars. And we never see Lot doing the same. He chose, he chose darkness over devotion to God. And the second thing is he chose the wealthy place. He chose what looked good. He chose finances over family. Now, people often misquote this description in 1 Timothy. People often say money is the root of all evil. But it's not money in itself. It says, for the love of money... It's the love of, not money in itself, but it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
And this is what Lot does to himself. He takes his two unmarried daughters and he takes them into this dark place. Why? Because he makes a financial decision. He says, this valley is wealthy. Let's go there. I don't know how many times as pastors we've had to counsel, we've had to intervene, we've had to help people who have made business decisions, career choices, relocation choices, with no consideration to how it would affect their family. But it's all about let's earn more. Let's make more money. There was a little boy who went into the shops, like a little cafe, with his mom. And the owner said to him, little boy, put your hand in the jar and you can have all the sweets that you can take out with your hand. And the little boy just stood there. And he said, come on, little boy, put your hand in the jar and take all you can. The little boy just refused. Eventually, the big cafe owner puts his hand in and grabs stuff and gives it to the boy and the boy, you know. And as they walk out, mom says, why were you so shy? He says, I wasn't shy, just he had a much bigger hand than me. (laughs) God has a much bigger hand than you do. Will you trust God to bless you and to look after you as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Something else that Lot chose. Lot chose the flesh over faith. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. And then he says, For everything in the world... The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but of the world. Lot is an example of someone who seems to be a Christian, seems to be a believer, but they're just religious because their heart is far. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I pray that your treasure is towards heaven. I pray that you are building up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lot was the opposite. He was going for what would give him maximum return. Now, friends, we have freedom of choice. You have freedom of choice. We as pastors don't control you. We can't control you. And to be honest, I don't know who tithes and who doesn't. And neither does Pastor Simon. We don't look at that because we don't want to treat you any differently. You're free to give, to run away with your secretary. You're free to do all these things. You've got freedom of choice, but you don't have freedom of consequence. Look what happens to Lot. Lot, the wrapped up one. Lot, the one who was enslaved to his desires, his lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boast of pride of life. He ends up in Sodom, and it says he was tormented in his soul by what he experienced, by what he saw, and by what he heard. Secondly, Lot was taken captive. And if you go the way of the flesh, you will be taken captive. Lot ultimately loses all of his possessions. He escapes from Sodom with the shirt on his back. That's it. He was a super wealthy man. Eventually, he loses it all. Tragically, he loses his wife. He becomes a widower. She dies because of his choices. He ends up living in a cave. Okay? 
a place of cold, wet darkness. This is where he ends up. And ultimately, and probably the worst, he ends up incestuous. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. What a tragedy of a man who had such a great example of Abraham, who was around the people of God, but didn't really live the faith. I want to juxtapose this with Abraham. He's the believer. He's the example that we need to follow. Look at what he chose. He chose relationship over riches. He said to him, let's not separate because of money. And friends, sometimes as pastors, we have to get involved in, in mediating between Christian businessmen and Christian women. It should not be that we separate over money. Relationships are meant to be far more important. Our covenant relationships, our love for one another is meant to be far more important than, than earthly riches. He chose responsibility over refuge. So war breaks out between these four kings and these five kings, and, and he's not swept up in it. And what does he do? He doesn't get involved, but at the moment where they've touched his family, his broader family, he steps in. I want to tell you the story of Martin Luther in Wittenberg. He, he stepped up, and he was responsible at the time of crisis. August 1527, the bubonic plague came to Wittenberg. The bubonic plague had about a 50% mortality. So in other words, half the people that get it are going to die. Immediately, people started fleeing the city, which was the right thing to do. And despite the pleas of his friends and his colleagues, Luther and his pregnant wife, Katrina, and this is also her choice, decided to stay in the city and minister to the sick and to the fearful. And he wasn't against people fleeing the city, but he opened up his home to care for the sick. What's so interesting is what Martin Luther did Christians have done for hundreds of years. When plague broke out in Rome, it was the early church who stepped and said, we're going to care for these people. This is what he wrote, Martin Luther. He says, those engaged in spiritual ministry, such as preachers and pastors, must likewise remain steadfast before the peril of death. We have a plain command from Christ. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But the hireling sees the wolf coming and flees. When people are dying, they most need a spiritual ministry which strengthens and comforts their conscience by word and sacrament and in faith overcomes. He went on to say, and I've skipped a few verses, he says, if you wish to serve Christ and to wait on him, very well, excellent, you have your sick neighbor close at hand. Go to him and serve him. And you'll surely find Christ in him. And he wasn't against taking precautions. He was all for that. And he wasn't against people leaving the city if they could. But he was all for the church rising up at that moment of crisis. How do we respond in the moment of crisis? Do we head for the hills? Do we seek refuge? Or do we rise up in responsibility as Abraham did? And lastly, Abraham chose worship over wealth. He chose to, to come before Melchizedek 
and bring 10% of everything. Now let's look at who this Melchizedek is, because you've got to say, well, why, why would he give to Melchizedek? And who is Melchizedek? His name literally, Mel means king, and the Zedek is righteousness. So he is the king of righteousness. And he's the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. And he's the priest of God Most High. And it says that he has no genealogy, no beginning of days, no father and mother. So I need to put it to you. Who is the king or the prince of peace? Who is the king of righteousness? Who has no beginning and no end? And who comes and serves bread and wine? And who blesses us? This is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Christ who has come. And this is before the law. This is before the law, before the Ten Commandments. So, you know, we've got to understand context here. And Abraham comes before Jesus, comes before Melchizedek, and he gives him 10%. What is Melchizedek given? First of all, he's given him victory. As good as the 318 trained men were, you don't beat four kings with 318 men. God gave him a victory, an incredible victory. And Jesus gives us an incredible victory that we can never have for ourselves. God gives us, through Jesus' communion, He gives us the bread and the wine. And He offers relationship and forgiveness and cleansing and the washing of all of our sins away. And, and some of you here today, you don't even need to hear about finances. You need to hear about your sins being washed away. And you need to take hold of what is offered by Jesus. And what else? He blesses him. And all of this he does before the 10% is given. He gives him victory. He shares communion with him. And he blesses him. And what does he receive? He receives 10% of everything. He receives 10% of everything. Now, I probably know where your mind is going. You're saying, yeah, but are you saying that I have to give 10%? Well, if you want to be exegetically consistent, if you're going to go New Testament completely, and we'll come to the reinforcement of this, then take the scripture in the New Testament that says they had everything in common. And so they sold their houses and they shared everything. So I put before you, I believe this is a... <laughs> I put before you, these are your two consistent exegetical options. Either you sell and you share everything, Christian socialist, or you consider to give 10% at a minimum. I don't see a third option of, you know, I'm going to keep 10% and give it to my favorite you know, television ministry. I just don't see that in Scripture. So let's, have, let's look at the application of this particular principle. The tithe to our king and to our high priest, Jesus, Melchizedek, is affirmed by Jesus where he says to the Pharisees, you give of your herbs in your garden, your, your mint and your aniseed. You chop up your, I don't know if you've ever taken herbs out the garden. You normally take so little. And you divide it, 9 verses 10, and you give that. He says, good job, good job. He says, but you should have done that without neglecting the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faith. But he says, do it. And of all the things that Jesus said in Scripture, this was one of them. One of them was he chose to affirm the tithe. Interesting, the early church affirmed giving of the tithe. I don't want to miss out the names of, of the early church fathers who said it. So they included Justin the Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, 
Cyprian, and Ambrose. And Augustine says the following, Our ancestors used to abound in wealth of every kind. For this reason, they used to give tithes and pay the tax to Caesar. We have been unwilling to share the tithe with God, and now the whole is taken away. So Jesus affirmed the tithe. The early church practiced tithing. The question is asked, who is it meant for? It's meant for the storehouse. It's meant for the local storehouse. That's why it says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So in this church, we don't believe in the tithe going to your favorite charity. That's your offering, and you're free to use your other 90% as you deem fit, but be responsible with it. But the 10% is for the, for the local storehouse. What is the purpose of the tithe? It's to provide for the priests. I pray that God blesses you with bonuses and share options and all kinds of incredible schemes and, and breakthroughs. We as the... Amen. I could feel that amen developing. <laughs> People like Simon and myself, we've said, God, we're going to trust you that as you bless your people, that they're going to be faithful. Amen. That you're going to be faithful to give and, and tithe, that there wouldn't be a lack in this house. Now, it's not just for our salaries, but it's partly for our salaries and it's partly for campus ministry. We take money from this house and we subsidize it onto it. Partly for church planting, that's the money that we used for Bryanston. Partly for missions, partly that we can take Southern Africa and East Africa for Jesus. That, those are our focuses, and a little bit for Europe. These are our every nation Southern Africa focuses. Above that, offerings. You are free to give offerings to whoever and to support whoever you want to. But the tithe is to support the people in ministry. This house and water and lights, etc., but this house continues. I already said this. Will tithing remove all my financial difficulties? I wish I could say yes. The answer is not necessarily. But it is one of the beginning places of those wanting God's blessing. Some problems that you might be experiencing are related to other areas needing obedience. So it's not the only silver bullet, but it's definitely one of the things that we do in obedience. Lastly, and I've touched on this already, what is the difference between a tithe and offering? A tithe is 10% and it's to your local house. And an offering can be to anything or to anyone that you want to support. Why do I tithe? Why do I give? Because I'm in relationship with Jesus. Because things that are important to Him are important to me. Things that burn on his heart are starting to burn more and more on my heart. Secondly, because of grace, I've received forgiveness. I've received mercy. I've received so much. So because of that, I respond. In view of God's mercy, Romans chapter 12, I present not just my body but everything unto him. Thirdly, it's, it's vision-driven because I see the impact in terms of church planting, in terms of kids' ministry, in terms of campus ministry, because of that, I give. Fourthly, it's word-driven. I'm convinced. New Testament, I really have one of two choices. Tithe plus offerings, or I share everything that I have in common with believers. And I leave the rest up to you to go through Scripture yourself. 
And ultimately, I give out of love. I give out of love. I give because I love Jesus. And I give because I love God's people. And I want God's people to prosper. Wrapping up. Excuse the pun. <laughs> Lot was bound. Lot was bound by his flesh. And if you are bound in some area, there's good news. There's Jesus for you. Abraham lived by faith. And he chose relationships before riches. He chose to be responsible before seeking his own refuge. And he chose worship over wealth. And he became the greatest example to us of a man who lived by faith and was blessed by God. So can we transition to prayer and bring our hearts before the Lord? We're going to do this in two parts. Firstly, I want to give you an opportunity. If, if you are here and you know that your sins are separating you from God, understand this. You can't clean up your act. Only Jesus can wash you clean. But what is required of you is humility. What is required of you is confession. You don't sort yourself out, but you come to him and he washes you and he forgives you. Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. And so we want to give you an opportunity to confess Jesus before men, to say here in this assembly, this safe place, that you say, I confess, I repent, I choose Jesus. So if that's you, I want you to lift up your hand and I'm going to pray for you and, and we're going to help you. If you need Jesus, you want Jesus, you're bound by sin, you're separated from God and, and you're done with that. I want you to be bold and decisive and lift up your hand and say, that's me. God's mercy is here for you today. Just lift up your hand high so I know if anybody is. God bless you. God bless you. Two, three hands, four hands, five hands. God bless you. Six hands. Could we all stand together? This is just logistics. Just please stand. I'm going to ask that you come forward now if you lift up your hand and, and we're going to pray for you and we're going to help you. Church, could we just celebrate as they come forward? Please come forward. Please come to the front. Come on, church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This is the best thing you could ever do. This is the best thing you could ever do. And... And all of us who are clapping have done this as well. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to pray it aloud because the Bible says we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth and we are saved. And then I'll pray for you. So I want you to pray this aloud, church. Pray with them. Lord Jesus, I repent. I turn from doing it my way. And I turn to follow you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Come into my life. I receive you as my Savior. I declare that you are my Lord. 
In Jesus' name. Father, we pray for these men and women, Lord God. Lord, we declare the power of sin is broken. Lord, no longer held back, Lord God. Lord, no longer tossed to and fro. But from today, Lord God, added into community. Above all, added into you. Lord God, give them friends, give them relationships, give them people who will disciple them and help them. Lord, let every stain of sin be washed away. And every, every relationship that is ungodly, let it be broken now. In Jesus' name. We speak liberty upon them. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Won't you look at me, please? So we want to help you. We want to connect you with family. We want to connect you with some people who are going to just give you a couple of scriptures, give you some advice. You'll be back with your family soon. So once you just follow Maureen, you'll be about five, seven minutes, and then you can get back with the rest of your people. We want to help you take the next step. So if you could just follow Maureen, please. Okay. So, so all of us, all of us are like Lot sometimes. All of us sometimes look at things and we're tempted. So I just want us to pray now that God would correct us, that He would cleanse us and He would refine us from these desires and these habits and, and set us free from any bondage. So if you know what God is speaking to you, just bring your heart before the Lord now. He gives grace to the humble. So just lift up our hands. Lord, we thank you for the example of Abraham. Lord, how he lived before you with faith and generosity and worship. And we bring those parts of our hearts that are like Lot. Lord, where we are choosing darkness over devotion, where we are choosing, Lord, finances, Lord God, over family. Lord God, we, we confess and we repent of these things. Lord, our desire is to live lives that are rich and full, that are responsible, Lord God, that have our relationships intact and that are full of worship, Father. So it's not just our finances, but our finances as well in every area of our life, Lord God. We bring before you and we say, Lord, we surrender. We are yours, Lord God. Tweak us, change us. Lord, in your love, correct us, Lord God, that we would live well and full, following in the footsteps of Abraham. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. amen. Thank you.